If you'll turn it to 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. Last week as we spoke in our Ladies and Gentlemen series, I left you indicating that we were going to look at someone in the Old Testament, one of the greatest women of the Bible. In a day and time when the idea of being a godly lady or a godly gentleman is so foreign to the culture. It's just a crude, rude, and just a a time where there's so much lack of understanding of what it means to be a godly young woman, a godly adult woman, or a godly young man, or a godly adult man. This is something that used to sort of be a given because of the way the culture was, but it's lost today. I mean, it's it's lost. I, I trust that it's not lost on you. And I trust that we're not coming from some etiquette book. We're coming from the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about how to be a godly lady and a godly gentleman? That's so important. I believe that the future of our culture and our nation hinges on an embracing of godliness in these areas when there's so much crudeness and uh, and vulgarity out in the world today. So I made a plea to you last time that if any of you were sore at me about preaching on what God says is godly attire, which is from the Word of God, that you'd have mercy on me like the great Shunammite woman had mercy on the prophet in the Old Testament. I'm no prophet. I don't mean that at all. But I hope you'll have the kind of mercy on me that Elisha experienced in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. Let's begin reading in verse 8. The title of the message is Make Room for the Prophet. And that is a direct a message to not just the ladies and the young ladies, but to all of us. Make room for the prophet. 2 Kings 4 and 8. And it fell in a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, a little room. I pray thee on the wall, and let us set before him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. If you heard the messages over the last few weeks, you can't reach the conclusion that God does not care about how we present ourselves, what we wear. And if you notice from those messages, God is more concerned about what's going on inside the heart. You see? He's more concerned how our garments within our hearts look. Okay? That doesn't mean He dismisses and says, well, I don't, don't, you can wear anything you want, you can present yourself any way you want to. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that He's looking at our heart. And here is the heart of a great woman. If you want to find someone to follow, if you want to find someone to model yourself after, this is a great woman in the Word of God. The word great means mighty or excellent. Some of the old translations of the Hebrew from Chaldee and even the Arabic indicates that this, the, the phrase is a woman-fearing sin where it says a great woman, she was a great woman, a woman fearing sin. And another translation indicates a woman eminent for piety or piousness 
respect before God. So when you see she was a great woman, this was a child of God who was a respectful, godly lady. She was married. We don't know a whole lot about the background of how she was married to this very elderly man. It, it was most likely in those days an arranged marriage. I mean, who knows? Those things were popular back in those days. That's kind of how the cultures went. They would arrange marriages. And sometimes if the parents who were arranging those marriages were doing it for the wrong reason or were not wise in what they were doing, they would put their daughters and their sons at times in very difficult circumstances. But just because a child of grace, male or female, is in a difficult circumstance does not mean that they can't honor God. Okay? So this woman, this great woman, this God-fearing woman, you know, that's a phrase we used to hear. He's a God-fearing man. He's a, she's a God-fearing woman. We don't hear that much anymore, do we? A lot of times today you hear things like, well, he's a self-made man or she's a self-made woman. That's kind of funny, too. Think about, you know, how'd you get here? You didn't make yourself. You know, God has blessed us to be here. Now, Shunem, which is where this woman was from, did a little bit of research on that. It's, it's in one of the 12 tribes. This is, a, it, this is an Israelite woman for all, for all practical purposes. I've often thought in the past, well, maybe she wasn't an Israelite woman, but she lived in the tribe area of Issachar. And she was near Mount Tabor. She was at the foot, her, her location was at the foot of Mount Tabor, which was a very popularly traveled area. And that's why Elisha was passing by like he was. He was riding a circuit, you might say, going here, going there. It wasn't very far from the Samaritan capital. You know, there was north was Israel, south was Judah, when the tribes split up, when the nation split up. And so this woman is living in the northern area of Israel, and she's not far from the capital of the northern country of, of Israel. That's important because there's a lot of turmoil going on politically in this day, this day and time, not just in Israel, but also in Judah. A lot of turmoil. And I think it's important for us to see that no matter what the politics are doing, no matter what the government has going on, you still find godly men and women scattered throughout a land like this. You just have to dig a little deeper for them. You know, this great Shunammite woman is not going to just pop up on the next time you do a Google search and say, I'd like to find a godly woman to follow. That she's not going to pop up. You've got to dig for this. And so notice her concern. She was in this area that Elisha was passing through. And it says that she constrained him. That word constrained means to lay hold on or be obstinate. <laughs> I, when I read this, I thought it means to not take no for an answer. I learned from some people that brought me here to sometimes it's good to not take no for an answer, you know, especially when it comes to meals, you know, uh, to just constrain people. Come on, let's let's have fellowship. If there's if there's an area in the ministry that I'm pushy, it's probably in that area. Come on, stay for lunch. Go to eat with me. I'll buy your lunch. How many of you have heard that? If there's anybody sitting here today that hasn't heard me say that, then let me know who you are and I will buy your lunch. Maybe not all at one time. Okay, let's split it up a little bit. But that's, that's one of my little devices and strategies to try to get somebody to go and fellowship with me. I'll buy your lunch. Well, you can't beat that, can you? <laughs> How many times have I said that? I'm, I've 
I feel like this great Shunammite woman. I want to constrain you to go with me. I want to constrain you to stay a little while. Oh, we spend so much time with this and with that and with the other. We'll spend time in all of our activities, inordinate amounts of time, doing things that we want to do. <laughs> but what about constraining one another just to sit down and talk and visit? That's a good thing. What about sitting down and just talking and visiting and maybe talking about the Word of God? See, this woman constrained him. She wouldn't take no for an answer. I could picture this in my mind. He's passing by with his little entourage. You know, Gehazi was his primary chief servant and he probably had others and they're going along. Maybe they're carrying a little pack mule with them or something. You know, they're passing by. And she comes out from the house and she says, oh, we often see you passing through here and we'd like for you to stop and have dinner with us. Would you have dinner? It's late in the afternoon. And Elisha's like, well, no, you know, we need to keep, we need to keep going. I can just see moving on down the road. And she says, no, please, please. Listen, you smell that smell coming from the kitchen? Don't you know that's going to taste good? If you'll just come on in and sit down and wash your feet, you know, take your sandals off, wash your feet, relax. I've got a comfortable couch in here. Just come and spend some time with us. Can y'all picture that? That's what this woman was all about. She had time for the prophet of God. She was obstinate. You say, well, stubbornness can be a bad thing. Well, you know what? If, if you are male or female and you've got a quality of obstinance or stubbornness, did you know that you can take that and submit that and lay that down on the altar of God and it can be used in a good way for the glory of God? That we, we think, well, I've got to completely change myself from, from what I am. You know, there is a sense of that, no doubt. You know, if somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing and they're, they're stuck in a way that they shouldn't be that dishonors God, they need to change. That's repentance. But you can take the qualities of your personality and you can channel them and say, Lord, teach me how to use this for your glory, see? And all of a sudden, a stubborn, angry, obstinate person becomes a very stalwart, stand-in-the-gap type person for the Lord. You see that? I'm not going to take no for an answer if you tell me you're not coming to church. <laughs> I'm just going to keep after you. I'm just going to keep you know, inviting you. <laughs> That's how this woman was. She stood in the right things. You get that? I want you to come and eat with me. Come and sit at our table. The word also can mean valiant, virtuous. You see? Another place that that word occurs where it says she constrained them. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. It's from Genesis, the 19th chapter, the 16th verse, where the angels, it said they laid their hands on Lot and his family and took them out of, of Sodom. To save them from the destruction of Sodom. To lay hold on is what she was doing. She was laying hold on them. Come inside. She meant it, you see. Now, I don't mean to embarrass Brother Keith back there, but he and I have laughed before. You know, Brother Keith said, don't invite me to stay for supper unless you mean it because I'm liable to stay. <laughs> I feel that way too. If somebody says, well, why don't you stay for supper? Well, okay. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I didn't know you were really going to say that you were going to stay. <laughs> This woman right here, she meant it. She constrained him. Notice it says also, after she had come by, after he had come by and stayed a time or two or whatever, it says that she speaks to her husband. Now, the husband doesn't say a whole lot in this. That's okay. It doesn't mean that he was a bad man. It, it doesn't mean really anything because we don't know enough about him to know. We know that he was an elderly man. He was a lot older than her. 
And maybe, I mean, we could even maybe assume from the scripture, maybe she was a, little, a good bit older too. We don't know, but they had never had a child. For whatever reason, they hadn't had a child. That's apparent from the scripture here. So she looks at her husband and she says, Behold, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. This woman had perception. <laughs> you know, I, one of my favorite characters, some, my little buddy Levi's back there, I think, you know, I'm... I'm probably a bigger fan of Spider-Man than he is just because I'm taller. <laughs> okay, I love Spider-Man. And Spider-Man had this sixth sense. You know, when things would start happening, you know, he'd, he'd just, you know, in the movies, you'll see him, or in the comics, you know, they had this little wiggly thing going above his head in the comic book. Did y'all know that Spider-Man was a character before there was a movie about Spider-Man? He was in a comic book. That's a little thing you take open and you read. <laughs> Brother Chris and I used to get those at the store. Our grandmother used to buy them from us. They were actually, back in those days, more interesting than movies. But anyway, just throw that little plug in there for the written word, you know. Well, actually, that was, you know, cartoon and writing, but whatever. So Spider-Man had this sixth sense. And when something was happening or going on, you know, here he would go. You know, he'd, have, he'd perk up. In some ways, some people have that. Did you know that? I'm not saying they're Spider-Man. But have you ever just gotten one of those, just one of those feelings overcome you, though, that there's danger here? You know, I don't think Elder Sam Bryant has that. You know, y'all know Brother Sam. You know, he'd, he'd just walk off in Africa when they'd go over there, walk off down some street. They'd have to run and go get him, you know. <laughs> He's a purer eyes and purer heart than some of us who have that sixth sense. You know, like there's danger here. Maybe some of us are over the top. You know, you've heard me tell about my kids. I had them scared to death when they were little fellas. You know, don't go wandering off down the aisle in Walmart because right around that corner might be the kidnapper. You know, <laughs> I was scared to death of them being kidnapped. Maybe your sixth sense is always turned on too much, you know. But this woman had a perception. It wasn't about danger, okay? But she had a perception. You know, I perceive that this man is holy. He's a holy man of God. So you know what she did? She made room for the prophet. She literally made a room. Now, that's not to advocate in a literal way today. Well, I know this preacher and he passes through and I'm going to, you know, literally build him a place. Somebody. If, if you felt the burden to do that, well, here's a woman that did that. <laughs> you know, if you felt the burden to do that, well, praise God. But at the same, you know, y I, would, I could see your house right now. You've got the, the, uh, the elder Luke Hagler suite on your house, right? Or the elder Tim McCool wing of your house, right? Is it, it's not literally, it doesn't literally mean that. This was a different time. And this man was passing through, going on long distances and long travels and weary from time to time. And she had enough perception about her. She said, we're going to make him a place where he can be comfortable when he comes by here. She made room for the prophet. And I can just picture it that it says in verse 11 that it fell on a day that Elisha came thither and he turned into the chamber and lay there. <laughs> And he said to Gehazi, his servant, he said, call the Shunammite. I've I, I pictured Elisha just laid back on the bed that they put in there for him with his hands behind his head, you know, looking up at the ceiling thinking, call the Shunammite woman in here. <laughs> he calls her in here, she stands there, and he says, say to her, I don't, don't, I don't understand all of the dynamics of the culture of why he's, he's speak, maybe he's speaking through an interpreter, maybe they didn't speak the same language, I don't know, but whatever, you know, he's speaking through Gehazi. And he says, Thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Because she was so careful and kind to the prophet. She made room for the prophet. This godly woman made room for the prophet. She was so careful with him that he says, what, what can we do for her? And 
Gehazi, the servant, who was really, honestly, he was not the best servant in the world. You can read what happens with Gehazi later. But she says, the woman says, I don't need anything. Isn't that another great example of a godly woman? I don't need anything. In a day and time where you can, you can Google anything and order anything and get it with free shipping on Amazon in two days. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I've done that, okay? I, I've got two things on order right now, and I'm going to probably check it and see where it is this afternoon. <laughs> I mean, we got instant gratification. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't get stuff and you don't order stuff and things like that, but it, it means she was content. I mean, here he says, what does she need? What can we do for her? And she says, I'm content. I dwell with my own people. I'm good. Everything's good with me. It's a content woman. And then Gehazi says, well, you know what? They don't have a child. They don't have a child. And so Elisha says, call her. And he looks at her and he says, about this season next year, you'll embrace a son. Now deep down in her heart, you can tell that she had already, always wanted a son. Because she says, nay, my Lord. This is verse 16. Nay, my Lord. Do not lie to me. <laughs> You, know, you ever been that way? Somebody told you something that was too good to be true. You've you got to be lying to me. You've got, you got to be kidding me. It can't be that good. You know grace is that way? <laughs> well, if you've grown up, some of you have. Some of you have grown up in a system of belief that says your salvation is up to you. That you have to make it happen. You have to make sure it continues to happen. And you better make sure that you don't ever fall away from it. Isn't it good to know that Christ made your salvation happen, that He will see that it will continue to happen, and that He will secure you from never falling away from it? Amen. And some people say, oh, that sounds too good to be true. I've had people tell me that. But Brother Tim, that's just too good to be true. That's the kind of reaction this woman has right here. She said, no, don't lie to me. <clears throat> well, you know the account there. She goes on and she and her husband, her elderly husband, they have a son. <laughs> you know, here's the point of that. Look, this does not mean, you say, well, I have this desire for this or that or the other. I want a mansion on the hill. You know, I want a Mercedes car. I want this. That's not what he's talking about. She said, I'm content. I don't need anything. You get that? She has an attitude of contentment. And when you make room for God, when you make room for the prophet like she did, the Lord will just continue to open doors and bless and bless. But if you never make room for the prophet, you'll never know. Oh, we make room for so much stuff, don't we? We make room for time to, to read. We make room for time you know, for work. We make room and for time for all types of things. Just the, the list goes on. But make room for the prophet. Amen. You see? You want to say, well, how does that translate today? There's no prophets around today. Not in the sense of what Elisha was, this miracle worker that would go around doing the things. But today, in this day and time, in this environment, you have preachers of the gospel. Let me tell you, young ladies, you make time for the preacher in your life. You say, well, you know, does that mean i got to go sit down and eat with him? Well, it could mean that. I've already said I'd buy your lunch. No problem. If you have an issue that you'd like to discuss. But it at least means listening to the preaching of the gospel. See, It at least means that. It can mean so much more. But if you don't make room for him, if you don't make room for the gift that God has given to the New Testament church, whether it's me or whoever, if you don't make room for him, you'll never know the blessings that wait. God designed preaching, God designed the gift of the ministry so that it would be a tool, it would be a benefit, a support, a tool for the people of God in all of the ages to come from the days of Jesus until the Lord comes back. I tell you right now, there's been some people that were influential in my life. 
I've told you this before about moving to Nashville and starting going to Bethel Church up there. And I was going my way, doing my thing, doing what I wanted to do, following my path. Praise God. Uh, Sister Tracy was tagging along with me with all of that. Praise God that she did. And so we go to Bethel and we start hearing a man preach the gospel. And this man starts preaching and telling me that I'm a sinner. I'm a dead dog uh, without the grace of God. And the Lord has done something for me. Now, what am I doing for him? I tell you, that gift of the ministry has changed my life. Has it changed yours? Well, if it hasn't, you know, you might just want to lay that at my feet and just say, well, it's just because you're just not that good, Brother Tim. You know, you're just not that good of a preacher. That's fine. I'll take that. I don't have a problem with that. But find you some preacher that does fill that void, see? You know, find a preacher that will change your life when you hear the preaching of the gospel. The prophet of God here changed the life of the great Shudamite woman. She, he didn't just change it because he sent her a son. He changed it because he was influential in her life. Do you get that? Right. Oh, I, I get this email on a regular basis. And it's a sad, it's a sad report. It's this ministry watch email. And it gives you these sad, terrible reports of ministers that are taking advantage of their congregations. They're taking advantage of people. They're doing things they shouldn't be doing. You know, they get caught up in extramarital affairs. They, you know, they do all these terrible things. It's really depressing to read it, but I continue to read it and look at it just to, to, to see what's going on in at least our nation, maybe the world, about the ministry. And it, and it just grieves my heart. That's not why God gave the gift of the ministry to the people of God. He gave the gift of the ministry to the people of God like this great Shunammite woman here to experience great blessings in their life and freedom from things in their life. You see? Listen, what did this lead to? Well, it led to her having a son and she'd never had a child before. That was a great blessing. It also led to her witnessing the resurrection of that son because he died at some point when he was a little boy. It also led down, on, down the road, you read over 2 Kings 8 chapter, the prophet Elisha comes back to her and warns her and says, hey, look, you need to take a vacation for seven years because a famine is coming to the land. And you know what that great Shunammite woman did? She had made room for the prophet. She had listened to the prophet. She had provided for the prophet. And then she, you know, she packed up her bags and she moved for seven years so that she would be sheltered from what she had been warned by the prophet that was coming. How about that? Now, Brother Luke and myself, we're no prophets. We can't predict the future. But I tell you what, we can take the Word of God and we can say that if you live your life according to what this says in the book of Proverbs or the book of 1 Timothy or whatever, in a sense, that is a prophecy on your life. It doesn't mean you're going to have no problems in your life. It doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. But wouldn't it be better to follow the model of what God teaches about what brings joy to the life of the child of God and in the midst of terrible, dark, political times like this woman was living in? By the way, I failed to mention this, but guess who was over in Samaria during this time? Guess who was the king during the time that the great Shunammite woman was dealing with Elisha and making room for the prophet? Guess who was the king and his wife over there in Samaria? His name was Ahab and his wife was Jezebel, one of the most notorious women that you ever read about. There's nobody around today that I know of that names their child Jezebel, just like there's nobody around hard. And if anybody's got a child here named Jezebel, I'm really sorry, okay? But if you did that, you probably didn't read the Word of God before you did that. But there's nobody that names their child Judas Iscariot, you see? That's a notorious name. One of the most flamboyant, wicked, evil, murderous women that has ever existed on the face of the earth is on the throne over there with Ahab at the same time that this great Shunammite woman is making room for the prophet. Are y'all with me this morning? Young ladies, 
middle-aged ladies, older ladies, young men, middle-aged men, older men, boys, girls, make room for the prophet in your life. Make room for the word. You say, well, it's just about you, Brother Tim. You know, you want us to make room for you. That's not the point. I could fall off the face of this earth tomorrow and be gone. And you never see me again until we get to glory. Make room for the man of God who brings to you the word of God and tells you things that, that relate to what pleases God. You see, it might be the preacher getting up and preaching for a couple Sundays about what God says is pleases him in the way that we dress for public worship, for private lives for work it might be that I mean he didn't put it in there for no reason but make room make room for the man of God that might be the most important thing that I could say to a young woman a young man forming their habits in life make room for the church of God the ministry the man of God He needs to have a place in your life. Not because He's intrusive, but because that's what God designed the ministry for. You see that? i got two minutes. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was thinking about this great Shunammite woman, I was thinking about a very dear young lady who became dear to me many, many years ago. Her name was Sister Carly. You said, well, I can't really relate to the Shunammite woman. Well, you could probably relate to Sister Carly. Years and years ago, the first person that ever joined Bethlehem Church right over here at the end of the service was her soon-to-be husband, Brother Aaron. I got down after preaching. I'm telling off on myself, but I used the John Cougar Mellencamp line as a title to that sermon. Am I crazy? I guess I am. The name of the song was, and the sermon was not related to the song, but Your Life Is Now. That was the name of the sermon. Your Life Is Now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Go now and serve God. Get up and go now. Well, Brother Aaron got up. And he ran down the aisle. And I'm standing there. You know, that's a very short aisle right there. It unnerved me. I thought he might be attacking me. And as he ran towards me, I was backing up a little bit. Even I sort of even stuck my arm down, straightened my arm out. I was thinking, am I fixing to have to cold cock this guy? You know, I don't know what's going on here. And when he got down to me, he fell flat, fell flat on his face down at my feet. Everybody's just standing there singing, amazing grace. <laughs> what's happening? And I didn't know what to do. I never baptized anybody before. I never had anybody join the church before. And I, I just kind of reached down, tapped him on the shoulder. I said, uh, brother, can I help you? He's like, yeah, I'm here to join the church. He said, my life is now. I'm here to join. And I was like, well, let me collect my thoughts here for just a minute. I never really expected anybody to join, even though I was telling people to, you know. <laughs> Better be careful what you wish for, like the dog catching the car. What are you going to do with it after you catch it, you know? So after I got through that and baptized Brother Aaron, years went by, he married Sister Carly. And y'all know the sad story there. Brother Aaron bought a motorcycle. He went out riding on that motorcycle and he got killed. She was a newlywed, probably, what, a year? Maybe a year or two. That was a devastating time for Sister Carly. She called me that day when he died. And the first words out of her mouth, she was broken, crying. She said, Brother Tim, I need to be baptized. Her husband had just died. Are y'all with me? I could hardly speak. It just occurred to me that's they both kind of made me speechless <laughs> from running down and falling down in front of me, Brother Aaron. And then when she said that, Brother Tim, I need to be baptized. Her husband had just died that day. And from that point, from that point, she began to make room for the man of God in her life. And I began to tell her, follow this path, look to this scripture, 
get yourself in a position where you can see the clearest, which is in the kingdom of God, listening to the men of God preach the word of God. And she began, it wasn't overnight. It wasn't like she just up and moved and she was gone all of a sudden over here through a systematic ongoing process of encouragement and teaching and question and answering. She continued to make room for the man of God in her life, the men of God in her life, the people of God in her life. And her, wor her world began to expand into a place that she had never seen before. Y'all know the story. She eventually moves to Birmingham. She eventually moves down here. And guess where she is today? Remarried down there at Five Mile. Brother Daniel, little Bennett, need we say any more? You need a modern example of making room for the prophet, making room for the man of God? You, you can look right here. It's right here. Now, let me say this. If you say in your mind, man, woman, or child, if you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that for that reason because I want what she's got. You're doing it for the wrong reason. She didn't know what she was going to have. She didn't know where she was going to wind up. She just walked on faith and took the step that she needed to take, and God took care of the rest. Let me tell you, child of God, if you want to be a great woman, if you want to be a great man like the Shunammite woman, let me tell you, make room for the men of God in your life. Make room for the church of God. Make room for the kingdom of God. Expand that area of life. Otherwise, you may never see what God will do. You see, make room for the people of God in your life, for the fellowship of the saints in your life, and submit yourself. Lay your personality, lay who you are down on the altar of God's love. And I tell you, child of God, you will see wonders like you have never seen. I can tell you, ask anybody like this woman, the Shunammite woman, what wonders she beheld. All because she constrained a man to come in off the street and have a meal. You say, Brother Tim, can the blessings in my life start with such a small and insignificant thing? I tell you, that's how God works. He does not despise the day of small things. It's the smallest of things that makes the greatest of differences in our life. And yet we just blindly go on and sort of overlook them. We think, oh, that wasn't God. Oh, I didn't see anything there. Look to the small things. It might be just constraining a man like the prophet Elisha to come in off the street and have a, a meal with you. It might just be calling and asking your preacher or your parents a question. It might be any number of little things. But constrain the men of God. God. Constrain the kingdom of God. Don't take no for an answer. <laughs> he said, could the change in my life begin as something as small as walking down the aisle and being baptized and becoming a part of this little church? Absolutely. <laughs> it is that simple. And we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.